Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John chapter 5. I want to share with you a word in due season. I believe the Holy Spirit will help me here today. And here's the question I'm attempting to answer. How do I demonstrate my faith? How do I demonstrate my faith? It's one thing to say you believe in God. It's one thing to say you have faith. Somebody dropped their pen. Praise God. How many know God sees it all? Amen. He's got. It. Uh, it's one. It's one thing to. It's one thing to. Sorry, I'm having a hard time not laughing today. I don't know why. It must be the joy of the Lord. Amen. That's what's the alternative? Okay, <laughs> you know, be depressed. You know. Uh, so it's one thing to say you have faith. It's one thing to to well, say I have faith in God. You know, that's good. But and it's another thing to. See yourself as a person of faith, but how many know that most importantly, you must demonstrate your faith? Because faith without works, James said, is absolutely positively dead. It doesn't even exist. So you can't say that you have faith if you're not demonstrating your faith. Amen? Feeding people like half of Lackawanna County these days is a demonstration of faith. It's actually one of the ways. But I want to help you with that today. I believe that, that God will add a blessing uh, to his word this morning and uh, to this message. But, you know, I don't turn there, but Paul, and you know this, most of you that have been around Pentecost any length of time, or if you just know your Bible, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, he said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words of men's wisdom, but with a demonstration. Everybody say demonstration. Yeah, of the Spirit's power. Why? so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power. Can you say amen? amen? Too many of us are putting our faith in men and not enough faith in God. And then, then we're, when we see that, like, and I won't even say his name, but a guy that was gifted as a Bible teacher, my son referenced him in the early service. Uh, he, just, he's, he died last year, and now all this garbage has come out about his life. It's a horrible thing. Horrible. Can you imagine the embarrassment his ministry and his family and his wife have to live with now? I mean, that's just, you know, a horrible thing. So our faith must be demonstrated. Our faith must be demonstrated. In John chapter 5, um, one of the many examples of the life of Jesus demonstrating faith to a sick man. So John chapter 5 and verse 1, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. There's seven. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Beth Ezda. Beth meaning house, Ezda meaning grace. I don't have time to get into all that. The thing about the word of God is you could spend a lifetime on the first sentence of that and not exhaust all the gold out of that text. Let me just say this. That's an actual place. I've been there four times in my life. Anyone who's been to the Holy Lands and you've been to, who's been there? Let me see your hand. There you are. Yes, it's you. I understand. That's a real place. Hannah's from there. And this is when it says there is a place by the sheep gate. The sheep gate is right there. And it's way down below, you know, um, grade level these days. But the Bible tells us that um, it's surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches is another word in our modern day vernacular. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Some say the halt, the maim, uh, you know, and like that, and the lame. So 
uh, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I mean, no, that's a long time to be sick. I don't even like to be sick for like a day, man. I feel like it's a wasted day if, if, uh, if I'm not being productive, right? How many know God wants us to produce in our lifetime? Yeah. And so um, he's sick 38 years. So, I mean, that's just a horrible way to be. And uh, it says, look at this, verse 6. Uh, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat at once. The man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. The day which this took place was on the Sabbath day. Let's pray. God, in the moments we have together this morning, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts and change our very lives, God. Help us, God, not to stay where we're at, Lord, maybe even where we're comfortable, but help us to move with you because we know when we move with you, you'll move us to where we need to be, God. Help us to move from where we are this morning to where we need to be and to demonstrate our faith. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So. This pool of Bethesda, it's a real place. It's got five porches, the blind, the maim, the halt, or the blind, the paralyzed. You know, those that they, they're, they've got different conditions. And the pathology of this, when you look at it, they did the best they could under the conditions that they were experiencing in their life. This man, 38 years, named by John, said Jesus came into the place. How many know when Jesus comes into a place, it changes things up? And so in that realm, you actually celebrate from what I'm told that you survived another day because people were dying all around. How many know in the, in the virus or the pandemic or what, whatever you want to call it, that even when people die, whether they're technically have died of this or they've died of something else, how many know there are other people that celebrate that at least they, they survived it? Let me tell you something, friend. God does not want you only to survive. He wants you to thrive. He doesn't want you to merely survive in this thing called life and just get by another day. But with everything that God touches, it develops and expands and grows. Can you say Amen. Faith to faith, glory to glory. Everything Jesus touched while he was here on earth, it grew. The one thing that didn't grow, the fig tree, he turned and cursed it and it died. Can you say amen? Yeah. And so when you think about it, it's, possi it's possible to live your life just merely existing instead of being in the divine blueprints the divine plan that God has for you. How many of you have found this to be true? It's possible. And many people, an example would be the lost, people that don't know Jesus. Uh, they're just merely existing. They're not really alive. These people in this story, now listen, I'm talking about these people, but I want you to think about you. That's, that's what biblical preaching does. It actually points out the example of the text. And in the text, we don't only look at these people, but we look at them in the lens of where we stand in proximity to the cross. Can you say amen? 
And so I'm trying to help you today as I'm setting this up that it's possible to just survive and not be all that God wants you to be and not do all that God wants you to do. And actually what happens to people when they're in that realm is instead of having faith to believe God for the impossible, they bring the bar down to where their reality is. And so, you know, they'll just live through life. People in a, in a tough marriage, I'll say that, a bad relationship, they'll say, well, at least I'm still married. Let me tell you something, that is never God's will for you. God wants your marriage to be blessed of God. Can you say amen? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, somebody say, well, at least you got a roof over your head. Yeah, you know something? You ought to think about it like this. Like, you might have a roof over your head, but it's how many know if it's leaking, it needs to be fixed. <laughs> there you are. It might be full of mold, but at least I got a roof over my head. You know, it might be ready to collapse on you, but you say, at least that. No, God wants you to experience the absolute best that he has for your life. Can you say amen? I was talking to Brian Phillips today. He's 93. And I said to him, I said, Brian, you got your health. You got your wealth. How many understand that? Amen. If you, if you're, you have your health, you've got your wealth. So these people are on in different categories. They're in five different porches. I want to ask you this morning a question. What porch do you sit on? What category are you in? Who do you associate yourself with? Who's in your circle of influence? Do you know that they tell us today that the five people that you spend the most amount of time with is the sum total of who you'll become? If you're the smartest person in your circle... If everybody has to come to you for answers all the time, and how many know, and, you're, and when you're like that, you're going to walk around exhausted, how many know it's time to expand your circle? Some of you are hearing this today. If you want to grow, if you want to change, if you want to develop, you've got to get around people that are further down the road than you are. Can you say amen? The minute that you've got it all figured out, you've stopped living. Never mind stop leading. So blind people, let me say it like this. Blind people enjoy spending time with other blind people because they understand each other. Are you hearing what God's trying to say this morning? They develop a system around where they're at because they, they just believe that the condition will never go away. You ever met anybody like that? So let me say this. Unbelief comes from listening to the wrong voice. Unbelief comes from listening to people that don't know you're Jesus. And so you may develop arthritis in your body and you'll get around people that are a little older than you that you always look to and they'll say, well, that's just a normal thing of life to have arthritis and you start either knowingly or unknowingly receiving that into your spirit. How many understand? When you're born again, you're more than just a body uh, you know, and, and just flesh and bones, but you have a spirit inside of you. It's called the Holy Spirit. Can you say Amen. And God's will for you is not to walk around racked with, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and all hunched over. But God's will is to heal your body. But it requires faith being demonstrated on your behalf and on my behalf. Can you say amen? So the Bible tells us that, you know, Jesus, look at verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw the man lying there. And he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked them, hey, how many know he's a, he, Jesus is the answer, right? 
But the answer is asking a question. Jesus is the answer. And I was a kid, Andre Crouch had that song. Michael W. Smith recorded it years later. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. How many remember that song? There you are. Amen. I'm a 70s kid. Amen. That and good times, right? And J.J. Walker, dynamite. There you are. <laughs> Jesus is the answer. But the answer is asking the man a question. And the question is this. Hey, do you want to get well? Which makes me think there are people in the world that really don't want to get well. In fact, their identity has become their sickness. They could tell you and rattle off more ailments that they possess than the healing scriptures in the, in the Word of God, which is infallible by the Word. Can you say amen? God's will is that you'll be, listen, be in good health, Colossians, and prosper even as your soul would prosper. And, people, and because some people have taken extremes of the gospel, the enemy has lied to people and said, no, you don't want to talk about, about that. That's health and wealth gospel. Let me tell you something. You cannot nullify the words of Jesus. If God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Can you say amen? So Jesus said, hey, do you want to get well? He walks into the pool. He has compassion in his heart. And he sees the man lying there. Listen, you say, well, he must not have had compassion. The very thing that drew him to that man was compassion. When I see people in a nursing home laid up, believe me, I, I want to well up with tears for them. And then I get, I get this, this feeling that comes over me, kind of like when I'm preaching to you now in my own personal life, and I get righteously indignant. Let me tell you, sickness ought to make people a little righteously indignant. Shouldn't just settle for it. Well, that's what the doctor said. That's the way it's going to be. No. Not if you're a believer. We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about people who don't know God. How many know the doctor doesn't have the ultimate authority? But the great physician does. Amen? You know, <laughs> praise God. Jesus. So if you're taking notes, let me give you these. To demonstrate your faith, you must ask yourself first. If it's for you, and if you're struggling in an area this morning, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's lack, maybe it's unemployment. I don't know what it is for you. It could be a relationship. It could be a marriage that you've been just dealing with for years. Do you really want to get well? That's the first point. Do you really want to get well? Or have you settled? Have you become comfortably numb dealing with the situation? And that's why Jesus asked that question, obviously. Do you really want to get well? Some people just don't want to be well. Say, so that's crazy. No, it's true. It's become like part of them, and they've allowed that. So they keep magnifying the sickness. Now, can I just tell you, I, I sometimes, if I'm not careful at 55, I'll say things. And thank God I've got a godly wife, amen? Who happens to be the best-looking woman in the world, amen? And no, her name is not Carolyn, it's Becky. The other day, I said something, man, something, something. And she said, ah, what did you just say? I said, leave me alone, woman. I'm tired. <laughs> you ought to thank God for your pastor's wife. 
who not only believes in faith, but demonstrates it. Can you say amen? <laughs> Praise God. Do you want to get well? Man, I mean, did you ever meet a, a hypochondriac? Anybody ever meet one of them people? My God, all they do is tell you about their problems constantly. Can, I, can, we, can we just have a moment here? Is this okay? Did you ever meet somebody like that? You, you, you're, like, you're afraid to ask them, how's it going? <laughs> it's always a bad report. I mean, it's always something negative. Like, oh my gosh, well, my doctor said this, and he said that, and I'm like, I'm, yeah. you know, and I got this, and like, they just get healed. So it's like, well, come up in the healing line. We're going to take that anointing oil. We're going to dump it over your head with blessed oil, holy oil. You're going to get freed up and walk out a free person in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? That's what we believe. It's one of the four cardinal doctrines. It's called divine healing for the sick. But for some reason, that same person will come back the very next week, and now they got a different ailment. Well, I got this. Well, I got that. Listen, nobody cares. Headline news. We don't want to hear your complaints. Let me just help you here. You're not making it any better by speaking death over your life. I feel so strongly on this. We identify instead of being a child of God with our sickness. And that's why Jesus looked at the man. It wasn't that he didn't love him. It wasn't that he didn't care for him. But he was trying to help him. How many know a real friend will tell you the truth? Come on. Do you even want to get well? Praise God. Some people just don't. It's they've, Brother Gary, they've suffered so long. They've had legitimate sickness so long that it's become like their identity. The enemy has racked their body with sickness and, and disease and pain. And they go around like an advertisement for Satan. You know what we ought to do? You ought to look Satan right in the eyes and say, Devil, get behind me. I'm a child of the Lord Most High. We've got to square our shoulders. It's like bulldog faith. You know what bulldog faith is? It's having a little tenacity and grit and not letting go of your miracle. I could give you a thousand examples this morning. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Exhausted all her resources. She said, if I could just touch. That's somebody who hasn't given up. That's someone who hasn't settled. That's not somebody that has a survival mentality. But God has more for me. And I believe in my heart and faith. That God wants me to be blessed and highly favored as a, as a testimony. If nothing else, if you say, oh, you know, I'm just so unworthy. I get it. I get it. None of us are worthy except by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. The Bible says that. I understand that. But we're not speaking of ourselves. <laughs> we're not speaking about ourselves. Of course you're unworthy. All your righteousness is filthy rags. We understand that. Look up the translation for that. It's disgusting. It's as low and filthy and nasty as it can get. Yeah, that's before Christ. Stop bringing out scriptures that were not meant for your situation. We ought to start saying, I am, the, the Lord has healed me. By his stripes, I was healed. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my... Read the word. Put a personal pronoun. Put your name in there. Because it's God's love letter written to you, sir. Ma'am, God doesn't want you to walk around depressed all the time. I had someone one time in a service in here. I won't say their name. They don't attend here any longer. How many know preaching like this will drive those kind of people out of here anyway? 
Oh my God, not, not, but nobody's going to congratulate me in that church because I carry around a, a bag full of pills. A girl, literally a young person, overdosed in a 9 a.m. service. Look back, she starts shaking, shaking, shaking like a leaf. They, I said, take her, put her in my office. Paramedics came in here, pulled out a bag, like a, you know, one of them, like, what do they call it, freezer bag? Ziploc, big Ziploc. I mean, bigger, you, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I, you, could, you could fit that pulpit in that bag, okay? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, folks, there are more pills in there. Who in the world? You think God designed us to live like that? And on Mother's Day, next to her own mother sitting there, trying to take her own life with those same pills that were prescribed by doctors to her. I'll tell you what, the pills we ought to take, it's called the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like I'm preaching to you this morning. Can you say amen? We've got to get rid of our unbelief. We've got to demonstrate our faith. Everybody say demonstrate faith. Praise God. So Jesus said, do you even want to get well? You know, here's the second point. To demonstrate your faith, you must stop blaming others and stop making excuses. Oh, Lord, I knew I'd lose some amens there. <laughs> I think you figured out by now, if it's your first time here, this is not the uh, seeker gospel. Look at verse 7. Sir, the invalid said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Well, I am trying to get in. Someone else goes ahead of me. I don't know some people are just comfortable in the mess they're in right now. There are people who love this, this virus. Oh my gosh, you're kidding me. No, there are people who love it. You know why? Because first of all, they're getting a stimulus check. Okay. <laughs> and an unemployment check. <laughs> they're making more money sitting home than if, if they were working. And you know what the reality is? There are people in this church who are business owners that they have employees that won't come to work because they like the excuse that they don't want to go out around people. Amen. No problem. I, I sneezed before and I just told him I just returned from China, so we'll be okay. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but yeah, how many know this is true? Have you met people like this? Let me tell you, when you work hard for a living, folks, isn't it a little aggravating when somebody can sit home and make twice as much money as you glued to CNN? Sleeping until 11 a.m.? How do you even sleep until 11 a.m.? Give me a break. <laughs> My gosh, I went to bed at 1.30 the other night, and we had to get up at like 6 o'clock, and I mean, hardly, I slept good. I said to my wife, do you sleep good? She goes, no, you snored all night and kept me up. <laughs> Praise God, amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> but people refuse to change. It's like, a, it's like normal for them to be sick. It's normal for them to not follow this word. It's easier, and they've settled Again, I'm talking to people in the text, but I want you to think about your own life. Do you realize that some people are born? Do you know that some women would rather be married to a man that was like their father, even if he wasn't an abusive alcoholic? You know anybody like this? It's a true story. I'm going to tell you this. There was a lady in an Assembly of God church. Her husband was a raging alcoholic many years ago. And her father, when she was a little girl 
was abusive. He was an alcoholic. He used to beat her. And when she got married at a very young age, guess what kind of man she married? Yeah, you know this is true. You see this. It's very common. And so she married a man who was an alcoholic thinking that somehow that she could get him saved. Let me tell you something, folks. It never works that way. Young people, listen to me. If you were on a chair like this and there was an unsaved person, you're the saved person, and you're going to try and pull them up to you, guess what? You're not going to be able to do it with all your might. On the other hand, if they pull on you just a little bit, they're going to bring you right down to their level. This woman married a man. He was abusive. He was an alcoholic. She had three or four children with him. She was an active member in the Assembly of God Church, loved God, sang in the praise team, carried the Bible, brought her children to church. He would never come, never hated the things that she stood for, absolutely despised her faith. I mean, this is a reality for some people. And yet she just dealt with it. She put up with it for years and years. Watch this. This is a true story. One night, she came in on a Wednesday night Bible study, and her arm was in a cast, and she had a black eye. And her pastor, who was a man of God, said to her, what happened to you? The old tears start coming down her face. She said, I, I, was, I don't want to talk about it. She, he said, what happened? Were you in an automobile accident? What happened? And he knew because he had pastored her faithfully for a lot of years of the abuse. And he said, did, did, did your husband beat you up? And she said, he did. Please, pastor, I don't, I don't want to press charge it. I don't want to. Watch this. Her husband, through a whole bunch of events I don't have time to get into now, ended up coming to the church. Because how many know sometimes people feel bad about what they do, so they think if I just show up once, it'll, it'll smooth it over. And what actually happened was, watch this, he actually got saved got baptized in the Holy Ghost. This is a crazy story, I'm, I'm telling you. So let's please hear my heart today. Next news you know, it becomes a member like we took in all these members today. Next news you know, Ron, he gets on, he's on the church board. He's serving. Watch this. While he gets on fire, his wife starts backing off. Are you seeing this? Why? Because it's not normal to her. You don't like this. I always want that mothering, nurturing thing. I want to help him. And now he's moving in with the things of God. He's coming to church. He's carrying his Bible. He's up there as one of the deacons on the board. And mom, and the kids were teenagers, they had a lot of stress. She starts backing off and backing off. Before you know it, she never drank before. She goes into the liquor cabinet. She starts drinking, immediately becomes an alcoholic. That's why it's so dangerous to play around. With spirits. There's a reason they're called spirits. Entangled her. Battling depression. Backsliding in her faith. She becomes a full-blown alcoholic. Literally like she swapped places with her husband. Winds up in a recovery center. I'm telling you the truth, folks. Winds up in a recovery center. Falls for a man who's a recovering addict himself while still married ends up divorcing her husband and shacking up with this guy. Her life tra tragically ended in suicide. Why do I say that to you? Because people settle for things because they're normal to them. Whether it's sickness, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's an abusive lifestyle. Let me tell you something. God's, if you're God's creation and you are, 
Loved ones, God wants his absolute best for your life. Don't settle for things that aren't God's will. Do you want to get well? Here's a question we need to ask. Have you developed an addiction to your affliction? Have you developed an addiction to your affliction? The guy says, I'm like this. Listen, because nobody would carry me. You ever meet anybody like that? Yeah, nobody would do the work for me, so therefore I'm like this. You know what that is? That's called a hitchhiker mentality. It's a demonic mentality that we think that people have to somehow carry us in our faith. And let me tell you, I can tell, and I love to pray for people. I really do. It's part of, you know, if you want a real fancy theological word, are you ready, guys? Josh, you're going to Bible school. It's called sacerdotalism. It's 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 what clergy do, you know. In other words, we match. (laughs) We hatch. It's called baby dedications. And we dispatch. You know what that means? Dedications, baby dedications, weddings, and funerals. You get it? So I get it. People want, oh, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. But let me tell you something. You can pray for yourself. Nobody can carry you. Is this okay? I'm, I know it's a little deeper. I'm, I'm messing with some, meddling with some theology right now. See, it's so much easier to, get, to make an excuse. I got no one to carry me to the water. Jesus Hey, do you even want to get well? Well, no one, people get ahead of me. Yeah, you know why they got ahead of you? Because they wanted it more than you. Yeah, I was at uh, Tim and Debbie the other day, Cartmel, you know, he's done so well. And, you know, I didn't know, he, he was sharing, Debbie was sharing with me that he grew up in a trailer with nine kids, as poor as poor can be. Now his business is being blessed. You know why? Because he wanted it more than somebody who would rather sit there and collect the check and complain about the situation. They've settled for the situation. They've settled for a virus. They've settled for all these things in our world. And they're taking like carte blanche what the, uh, you know, the alphabet disease. You know what that is, right? You know what alphabet disease is? ABC, CBS, (laughs) NBC, FOX. It's called an alphabet disease. They're just taking it in and believing everything instead of believing this book. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. I don't say, Pastor, it's a hard message. They said that to Jesus too, so I feel like I'm in good company this morning. You know, see, some people are just comfortable in a mess. They've got a teddy bear and a radio, <laughs> an unemployment check, a stimulus check, and it's easier to lay there instead of getting up and going to work. Come on. Anytime you justify your condition, you've given it a license to stay. Man, that was worth the price of admission right there. Let me say it real slow. I would write that down if I was you. Anytime you justify your position, you've given it a license to remain in your life. Well, at least I'm married. You think God wants you to live like that? I'm not saying divorce your husband, okay? So don't... Take that, extrapolate that out of this little message this morning and, you know, wind up in divorce court, okay? But God wants you to be blessed in your life. Can you say amen? I try, but somebody else gets ahead of me, you know? Can I tell you what? We, you know how much work and effort and time and blood and sweat and tears it took to build this place? 
Folks, you know, I just talk to people that young people have a call of God in their life. They want to do something great for God. Look at this place as an example. Forget me. Take me out of the equation. I'm just saying. Anybody knows this story. Talk to my parents about this. This house was built on prayer. This house was built on incredible sacrifice. We have people give their entire house away. And somebody would complain about tithing. Are you kidding? Keep moving. What do you want? Someone to just pat you on the back all the time? It, it, look, and I, I had a lot more friends in ministry before we built this house. You want to be hated? Just do something great for God. They love to talk about you. Amen? I just looked at my pretty wife like Winona Judd in, 19, in the 2008 said, let's give them something to talk about. <laughs> Amen? So don't make excuses. Do what God's called you to do. You can have as much of God as you want. I said, you can have as much of God as you want. I'm almost done. So what do I do with that? Pray and say, God, give me a desire. I want to want it bad enough to stop making excuses. And listen, your mouth, you've got the same mouth, the same mouth you make excuses with. Start declaring over your life as it will be. Call it in Romans 4, not as it is, but as it will be in Jesus' name. Do you know how much easier it would have been not to put Thrive online up there in Honesdale? I actually like my Sunday nights, you know? <laughs> but we don't do it for ourselves, amen? Last point, and then a worship team's going to come back. To demonstrate your faith, you must let go of fear and take God at His word. You got to let go of fear. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got to let go of fear. And take God at His word. I've never seen a time in my life, and I'm not talking to you guys now, but have you, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a time in your life, Brother John, when Christians, I'm talking to people who call themselves Christians, church people are so afraid and fearful of what's going on out there. Have you ever seen it? I've never seen it in my entire life. I've never seen people so afraid. People of faith. Do you know we have people, Steve and Bonnie, that have left other churches to come here because their church shut down. And, and I mean, I know good people. Like one guy, he was in the early service, Mike Antosh. I worked with him for years. And Mike's like, look, I'm Catholic. I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I'm born and raised, died in the world Catholic. He goes, but when they shut down our church, I'm like, what is going on? I know that's not right. Can you say amen? <laughs> and so, you know, you realize, can I, let me say this. The largest church in the Assemblies of God in the district of Pendel, the pastor just resigned two weeks ago. And I'm not, there's no diss on him. I, I, he's a wonderful, powerful man. You know why he quit? You know why he resigned? One of the reasons? I mean, to pursue God's will. Yeah. Do you know that he, was, he had so much pressure internally to close his church down? This is a church that was running 2,800 in one location. They had a multi-site that running 1,800 and growing strong. We had been out there. Our, our staff, I got my ordination in that church. We had, our staff had been there for training. He stands up after 33 years on a Sunday, Bonnie and Steve behind the pulpit, and he reads his letter of resignation to the shock of the people. You know, I did a little, I called one of the men who's a mentor of mine who's actually on his elder board. I said, what happened? And after he went through a whole bunch of stuff, he said to me, when they closed the church and they shut down because people on the board were pressuring him to close, the one guy was a su like a superintendent of a big old school district. He's like, you must close, you must close, you must close. Anytime you feel like that tightness in your chest, that ain't God. <laughs> 
And he said, I don't, I don't feel that as a leader, this is what we should. And he ended up closing the church. Watch this. That church went from 3,000 in one location. You know how many people were there two Sundays ago? 300 in an auditorium that's twice the size of this. So I honor you this morning for standing with us and saying, you know something? We're keeping the doors of God's house open. And we're going to demonstrate our faith. Amen? Hey, praise God. You realize a Catholic, I don't know if you saw this, this Catholic priest somewhere in Central America, I don't know if you guys saw this. They won't show you this on CNN, by the way. He, <laughs> during this whole pandemic, he took the oil, you know. John, one thing I love about the Catholics, at least they believe in anointing people with oil, right? You know, this guy did, that's a true story. He took the oil and he called a service, Central American country, and he said, we're going to anoint everybody with oil and we're believing in faith that this sickness, this virus, this demonic thing, so he's standing up, it takes faith to do this. He said, it's not going to touch anybody in this congregation. And as far as the eye could see, he anointed, he laid hands on people with oil. True story. Do you realize that in that part of the country, that, I mean, not just his church, that part of the country was least touched by this virus than anywhere else in the world. Can you say praise God? But somebody has got to demonstrate their faith. We can't just say we believe in God and then hide in a bunker somewhere. We're in a basement. And I know I'm almost done. Jeepers. At least I'm not as long as my son. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. Look at and Jesus said, get up. Look at verse 8. Then get up! Exclamation point. Pick up your mat and walk. Take it up. And he'd pick it up. You know, you know why? The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Look. How about, you know, let me just say this. How about the Spanish flu? Anybody know, ever, ever read the numbers? Like, yeah, I'm a numbers guy. I like You know why I like about numbers? They're factual. You know how many people died in the Spanish flu? Listen to this. About 500 million or one-third of the world's Earth's population became infected with this virus in the early 1900s. Spanish flu. They didn't have all the television stations to tell everybody what they want them to believe. Okay? The number of deaths were estimated to be at least 50 million worldwide. 50 million worldwide. About 600 and 75,000 occurred in the United States. You know, and I don't know if you understand about the money and all that stuff with the CDC. I'm not going to get into all that, but how many understand? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Like somebody's going to get mad at me. They're going to write me letters. You know what? I would say have faith in God, sir. And stop getting mad at preachers anyway. And look at the man in the mirror and say, am I really demonstrating my faith to my kids? Am I really demonstrating my faith to my community? It's not crazy. You're not jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. You know, we went somewhere. Hey, look, if I got to go in and wear a mask, I'll put on a mask, whatever. I hate the mask. I want to say, who is that mask man? Hey, Amen. It's like the Lone Ranger. Brother Tiff, he wears a Lone Ranger mask, you know. Praise God. They say, put your mask on. Where's your mask on? You know, how awkward and embarrassing. Can I just be honest? You walk in a place. 
They will like, they don't even say it nice. I mean, like scream at you. And I don't do it on purpose. I'm not like some kind of defiant, crazy person. I just, like the other day, I literally went into a, like a lumberyard up here. I didn't, it was freezing cold outside. And I just walked in, sir, we have a mask on. You got to have a mask on. Like, I mean, this guy's standing behind a piece of plexiglass is like the size of a billboard, man. With gloves and a, like some kind of a thing. I'm like, gee, okay, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Pull him out, okay, all right, I'll come back in now. Okay, we're safe now. We're safe. You're 30 feet away from me. I can't even reach the thing with my card. They got like stools and like caution tape and, you know, giant sized things, a hand sanitizer and goodness gracious. I was so fearful anymore. What have we become? What would the saints of old think of us? You realize during that Spanish flu, that was like Azusa Street had just ended, and all these churches started being birthed in the fires of revival. You think they all closed down? No. The answer is no. They're men of faith. Let me give you, let me give you one story, and I'm done with this. Lillian Yeomans. She was a Canadian nurse who became a physician. She was brilliant. Loved Jesus. She was Pentecostal, spirit-filled. Came from Canada where they won't allow them to have church now without fining you. Her, this is, you can look this up on Wikipedia. Her remarkable ministry resulted from her own deliverance in a downward spiral, listen girls, to drug addiction. She was a former drug addict back then. And she had a Saul of Tarsus experience with God, with the Holy Ghost. She got saved, got baptized in the Holy Ghost. She became a dynamite, powerful little... You know, five foot nothing nurse. She came down from Canada. <laughs> she wrote four books on healing. This is what she, here's one of her quotes. Just believe what God says that Jesus has done for you. Just believe. She wrote four books on divine healing. Here they are. His healing power, healing from heaven, health and healing, and the great physician. Little Lillian. She went, you know what she did during the Spanish flu? She went into communities and laid hands on the sick. Because they didn't, they didn't have a vaccine. They don't have no vaccine. Let me tell you, tuberculosis killed a million and a half people last year, and they have four or five vaccines, and nobody's talking about this. I'm sorry, but I ask questions. I don't check my brain at the door because I sat down in my comfortable chair and turned the remote control on, and I hope you don't either. Somebody's got to stand up. Somebody's got to demonstrate their faith. You realize she went into, this is the truth, she went into these communities. Countless thousands were healed. She used to say this. She used to stick her little chest down and say, come up this way and I'll knock the devil out of you. That's how they talked back then. Those are first generation Pentecostals right there. She laid hands on people, boom, 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 healed, healed, healed. The Spanish flu, people were dropping like flies. Healed, massive crusades across the south and, and across the north and into Canada. You can look this up, friend. You know what they did? they did when she left town? They had massive, and I love this, massive mask burning parties. Can you say praise God? Come on. Oh, hallelujah. You've got to demonstrate your faith. You've got to believe. Let faith arise. Come on, stand to your feet. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed.
enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of yourself listening and tag us on social media at Peckville Assembly of God. We'll see you next time. And remember, we love you, God loves you, and may God's richest blessing be yours.